0: sales development continues to grow in importance as a critical component of a successful go-to-market strategy. And with the explosion of new tools, technology, and processes, the sales development industry itself is thriving, as seen with the growth of the 10bound sales development market map over at 10bound.com. On this podcast, we'll dive deep and go beyond sales development to think about the future of technology, processes, and tools in the industry. With our host, noted futurist, author, and sales development practitioner, Justin Michael. Welcome to Beyond Sales Development. Tune in each week and be sure to hit subscribe, leave a comment, and turn on notifications to never miss an episode. And now, Beyond, Beyond Sales, Sales Development, Development with your host, Justin Michael.
1: Welcome back to Beyond Sales Development. I am your intrepid host, Justin Michael, I'm doing my best, William Shatner impression. We have Ian moise a sales leader from the UK, with a story
2: history of success and results. I would love to learn more about you, Ian. Welcome to the show. Justin, thank you, and I appreciate the opportunity to hopefully give some insight and some value to your audience.
1: Yeah, thank you. So talk to me about sales. You know, everybody kind of falls into this thing. How would you get started? Because to understand the future of sales, we kind of have to go back in
2: time. Yeah, absolutely. And I fell into it, is the right word. I was initially... Long story short, got introduced into computing in the early days. I won't won't say how basic the the computers were at college and school. Went to work for IBM as a program analyst and then saw salespeople out there in those days with the company car, seemingly getting it easy with a mobile phone that was the size of a suitcase. And I thought, well, I know what I'm talking about, right? I, I, I understand this stuff. How hard can it be to sell it and talk about what you know? So that was it. And I went into inside sales at a small company, was quickly promoted into field sales, I I would argue just by effort and tenacity, because I just worked so hard, because I didn't know sales. So I I made up for it in effort, and then went through channel sales, direct sales, sales leadership. And, and, And all the way through, it's been learning on the job. It's been learning that grafting the hard way, figuring out how to do it. Yeah, you get training and coaching. But I think the, the real coaching and training comes from the people that you work with, not just for, but with the people around you and, and what the experiences they've had you can learn from. And for me, and we may talk about this in, in relevance of your subject, it's about staying relevant to the current buyer dynamic. What I mean by that is we all change as buyers. We've all changed over the last 10 years because of social media, because of peer influence online, because of mobile, Amazon, et cetera, whatever business you're in. Customer, the way they buy and behave has changed. We all have. How do you deal with that as a salesperson? How do you adjust? How do you consistently stay relevant to the current world? And it's changed this year big time, right? For for all of us. Yeah, it's really true. So there's a lot of debates, and i uh,
1: there's some great folks in England like Marcus. Couchy and Daniel Disney, but there's been these
2: debates. I know both of them well. Both <laughs> of them well.
1: Yeah, so there's this whole thing of like, okay, are we going to do social selling or cold calling or emailing? Now, I'm a huge proponent of omni-channel. If I could use anything ethically and morally to contact someone, I will, be it a carrier a pigeon or sending them some chocolate cake, which I have done. Send someone a whole flourless chocolate cake. Talk to me about the strategy. There's so many channels we can use. What is a reliable approach, a methodology or process that you could give us utility on? Like here's the Ian Moyes approach to developing business because it's actually confusing at this point. What's And I
2: totally totally agree with you there, Justin. There isn't one size fits all. The the individuals you are trying to contact, let's be honest, you're not selling to a company. You're not trying to reach a company. That's easy, right? The receptionist's job is to answer the phone. You will get an answer. You want to engage with the relevant people to your product or service. And that will be different depending on what product or service is, high cost, low cost, you know, who the who the influencers and decision makers in the business are. You want to have a conversation with them. And this is what we want to have, right? Today, it's video. Normally it'd be ideally in person or on the phone, a conversation, not a communication. If you can pick up the phone and get hold of that individual, then do it. Why would you not do it, right? Social selling has its place. It is another tool in your kit bag in the modern world. It does not replace traditional sales methodologies. It complements them. And it typically enhances and complements them at the beginning when you're trying to get hold of someone. And I always talk for It's pretty basic, right? Social selling is not about selling your product to wear online. It's about using social media to start a conversation. It's as simple as that. And what I profess, and I, unfortunately, I see so many sales managers I would I would oppose leaders at this point who are driving people their teams to activity rather than productivity and what I mean by that is that and I was selling telephony before so what would come up would be you know how would your product help us do uh, each of my uh, outbound SDRs do, do 70 or 80 calls a day rather than 50 to 60 and I'd always stop them and say, before we worry about how you do that why are you doing that and the why they're doing that is because they've worked out how many cold calls it takes to get a connection? How many conversations it takes to get a lead? And it's got harder. So what they're doing is moving the dial But We need to, need to do more activity. I would argue is you need to do more of the right things because activity reaches a threshold where you can't go anymore. You get to a point where you can't get a human being to do 200 calls a day, 300 calls a day, four. And if you're having to do more, I would argue the methodology is not working for you. You need to do something different. Don't keep doing the same old thing and expecting the same old results, right? It's the old phrase. So social selling, I think, has its place. Stop calling people, and I'm sure you'll get this. I did a short video on this a number of months ago, where you get inbound phone calls again and again and again. Right? I get it. I've got people doing it to me now. I see the number come up, and I think, I bet that, leave it to voicemail, it's them again. must be the 15th call. Ian trying to get hold of you still. At what point do you think I'm, you realize I'm not answering it to you? You know, and at this point, you've now put a bigger brick wall up because you've signaled to me, you keep trying the same method and you're not being smart about it. So all of them have the right place. But I would argue these new methods are are exactly that methodologies, not what the behavior we're seeing most people do, which is using LinkedIn Navigator to spam people as they did on email, but just do it on a different platform. Yeah. I mean, I am I'm old school. I look at completes. I talk to financial advisors,
1: like if you're not speaking to someone one-to-one, everything else is sort of tertiary or, you know, 10 flights down. I use power dialers. I still cold call every day. And the people I actually speak to live on the phone sometimes turn into deals, you know, qualified opportunities in two weeks, even close within 30 days the level of velocity if you can get someone live because with email communication, there's no way to handle their objections or rejections or concerns. They just sit there and they fall off. So I'm a big fan of putting phone in all over the spectrum. How are you training and coaching folks? Is that part of what you do? I'm sure you've run teams, help leaders listening. Yeah. How do they improve this? And sometimes there's a culture in companies of like, we got to send all these big paragraphs, spend five hours a day researching. Some people you just, it's paralyzing. They want to do stuff. And sales has got, has got left the doing and become like, let's go to the library and read the books and think about it. And I think sales is an action. But take
2: me through your thoughts on this stuff. Yeah. So a couple of things, I think. Number one, I've already mentioned is is product activity is not productivity. So stop driving people on. It's obvious. And people are based on get an appointment, regardless of whether it's quality or, or whatever. Get, get an appointment, be a field sales rep. Or... How many calls you've done a day or how many emails you've sent? It's, oh, look how busy I've been. But is it? that's not necessarily directly correlating to success and output. Productivity does. So are you doing the right things? Work smarter, not harder, number one. The other thing, and I think really what you said there, and I talk about this all the time, is communication is not the same as conversation. And let me give you an analogy as a leader, and this is a bit of advice for all sales leaders, and I learned this the hard way, you have to catch yourself doing this and and then challenge salespeople. The number of times I've heard salespeople, you'll do a deal review with passing in the corridor, you'll check in, have you managed to get hold of of Fred at such and such? When did you last speak to Fred at your kiosk or Sue? And the answer you will often get is, oh, I chatted to them yesterday or I got an update from them yesterday. Oh, I spoke to them yesterday even, right? So what does that infer? You spoke to them. And I always double check that with, so you actually spoke to them. You had a conversation and the number of times a salesperson will suddenly back down and go, no, no, it was, not no, no, I emailed them and they emailed me back. It's not a conversation. To your point, it's a communication, which is flat. It's one way followed by one way. It's open to misinterpretation. You can't ask another question based on the answer you get, right? So if I asked you something, so how do you think we're doing? You know, I want to win your business. On a scale of one to 10, how's my team supporting you? Where, where would you place this today? Oh, it's a six. I'm sad to hear that, Justin. What, what would make it a seven or eight? i I'm Straight away, I've got another question based on it, right? And I can say, why do you say it's a six? You can investigate. You can't do that over email. And too often what I'm seeing now, particularly in the COVID world, is people are, and whether it's email or LinkedIn, right, it's still a, it's still a communication, electronic communication, are defaulting back to that and thinking that's a customer engagement. It is a customer communication. It has its place. If we have a great conversation, I might then communicate something over to you to confirm what I said on the phone, Justin. want to make sure we understood and there's a point of record that we're on the same understanding. Bullet, 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 bullet. That's fine. Could you confirm to me I understood our conversation and if there's anything wrong, let me know. That's validation. It's a different use of it. It's the right use. But it shouldn't be you've had 10 emails back and forth in the past week. Exactly what you said. Get on the phone mm-hmm. to them, and if it, and here's the other thing I, I profess and train people on is change that you took Dominic channel. Change the channel too often, and you know where I'm going. You know where I'm going, but you're not. You'll get an email, and it'll customers say, "Oh, you're doing great, and I need this. Can you can you confirm this and do this and whatever." Ninety nine percent chance they're replying on an email. If they send you a WhatsApp, it's a, we all do it. We default to responding on the same channel. Why would you not? On on the right occasion, respond to the customer. Absolutely, I'd love to do that. But there's a couple of questions. When's good to jump on a call and just discuss it? Have a conversation and then confirm it in a a communication. But no, because we got an email, you do become a keyboard warrior. Mm. You can't build rapport over email, I would argue, right? And, And turn it into a relationship.
1: This is like good Twitter fodder, like change the channel or keyboard warrior. The one I always said was spreadsheet jockey, right? The new science of management is you just sit behind Salesforce and build reports with sales ops. Again, it's not an action. This is a sport. This is not, uh, we're not analysts here. Now, analysts are key for sales development. for getting your data figured out. So there's different problems, right? Talk to me about the technology stack. It's it's a big thing. It's what my work's about. You know, when I think beyond sales development, I'm thinking about How can I automate? How can I hand stuff to VAs? How can I get better data accuracy? What elements of the tech stacks can I blend? What are the gaps? Can you just tell me your approach to leveraging technology stacks? In addition to what you just outlined, which is quality process and quality training. Now let's talk about the shiny objects. Like how do you eat a Reese's? The old American uh, ad. (laughs) What does Ian Moise have in his stack
2: and how do you, well, it falls straight into CRM, right? Whichever CRM platform, and there are a plethora out there. I have sold CRMs before as well, and in, you know, for three years. And it too many people, I think, take the technology stack as the fix to their problems. I'll buy some marketing or sales tech and and fix it. And it's a, I would argue, it's a complementary. It's a tool to make you more effective to better share information, but it does not fix the problem. It is and this goes back to my old technology background, it's people, process and technology, right? You've got to get the right people and train them on the right behaviours of sales. You've got to have the right processes around it and the right tech all aligned up. One of those three is broken and you will have a problem. So you could have the best CRM in the world and spend a fortune on it. But if you haven't aligned the processes around making it effective and efficient for the salespeople in the way that they work, transactional sales is very different to enterprise sales, for example. So, for an enterprise opportunity, you may have a lot of information you want to collate. Don't force your sales rep to have the same view on a small lot. And I've seen that too often it is one one size fits all, and salespeople getting one one of two things: either getting bogged down in admin for admin's sake because of the systems, or missing stuff out and not filling it in because it's just I don't know which which bit I'm supposed to fill in for what type of opportunity. So and I think that's a leadership responsibility in my opinion. And the way I've worked that is to to buy the right technology systems, but then make sure they're implemented to align with the relevant process to the relevant team in the appropriate manner. Don't do one size fits all, right? So what I like to use these systems for is things like white space analysis. you know where where are we missing? What information don't we know? And I always make sure the dashboards, and visibility that I have as a sales leader, I share with my team. So they know what I'm looking for and we work it through together in a collaborative fashion and we change the fields and the processes and the looks to mean that I get what I want without hindering them for the sake of it. And too often I find there's a disconnect there is here's all the dashboards I want, but here's all the effort it's created and there's no understanding of that means the salesperson's behavior will change around a system. The system should not drive the behavior. The, the system should support the right behavior and the right analysis, to your point, of information coming from that behavior. So yes, I care about, are people doing the right thing? Are they active? Have they qualified? Have they gathered the information? But it's gotta be done in a cohesive manner. Otherwise, I, I, as I said, I worked in selling CRM for three years and being engaged in those conversations directly with sales leaders and watching what people did. And then the number of projects I, I worked on in customers where they had prior CRM systems and it was killing their productivity. it become an ad, you know, salespeople have become admin joc- jockeys. And I'm sure people listening to this will recognize that. So there is a danger, I think, of over-techifying, if there's such a word, sales, for the sake of doing it, that it's going to solve my problems and make, I mean, the, tech, the technology will just make the selling happen for me. People still buy from people.
1: Not that a jockey's a bad job. Like if you're good with horses, I, I mean, uh, just to take this to a Monty Python extent, let me ask you this. Will sales development reps ever be replaced by artificial intelligence? Could it happen? On the way, there's all this whiz-bang, artificial intelligence, machine learning, attack. tech. Is any of it interesting? Reps want their emails written. There's cool platforms out there now that help you write the emails. I think we're in the, the age of writing. Where people need to learn to become writers because they have to program this automation. Talk to us about copywriting, about you know new tech that you're looking at that actually could be promising and have value. And you know people are trying to understand what to do. You know, do yeah. they need to become a writer? What kind of training do they need to get? I mean, there's a lot of SDRs listening on this call that are looking for answers. Yeah,
2: I think the big one we're going to see in sales. It's already starting, so so it's not like I'm predicting something and being incredibly smart about it, is AI. And we're seeing a lot of sales tools now on two two fronts, I think. One is sales coaching, tools that are able to, for example, let me give a couple of examples, are able to listen in electronically to the phone conversations that are being had with customers and automatically analyse the verbiage being used and identify where coaching is being, being done. So there's some easy examples there, right, where, for example... You need to immediately be saying a disclaimer if you're selling insurance. You have to have a certain legal disclaimer said. That's easy. Did they say it? Didn't they say it? But what some of this tech's now starting to do, and I think we're on the the beginning of this, is identify who's your performing sales reps and what phraseology, what what, what are they doing? Uh, you know, for example, simple example: Are your top sales reps not talking about price at all? Does no none of the words around cost or price etc. come up? in the first eight calls but your poor performing reps it's coming up early 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 with price objections it's identifying and providing information about what is different because it's really difficult i think as a sales leader you don't listen to every conversation you can record every call but you don't have time to go and review it so you tend to dip in and pick select conversations using machine intelligence to analyze huge volumes of data and give insight to this is the patterns we're seeing on your top performing reps and give you insight as a leader of that's the difference. Tell you, because then you can work on how do I now coach those other reps? Because I know what the thing is. Normally, I think you you don't can't see the wood for the trees because you can coach people, but how do you know what to coach them on? Right? How do you know what Sue's weakness is compared to Bob's strength? How do you know what Dave's weakness is compared to Allison's strength. So that's one one area. The other one I'm seeing is tools which are looking at your behaviors and patterns, and and they take a what they need the data to do this, but then predict and give advice to the sales rep on, you should be contacting this customer now. You should be emailing this customer now because they haven't had a communication or marketing should. So they give you guidance on what are the, in terms of the omni-channel communication methods, what are the patterns that are being seen to work in your industry, in your company, that will automatically guide other reps to the right type of patterned behavior? Now, that doesn't mean it does the phone call for the rep and takes away the skill. But what it does is says you should be calling them in the next 24 hours based on the patterns we see that you've left a gap. And now's the time that you should be making contact based on what we've got and all the wins we've had and all the analysis. So I think there's tools which are going to be able to guide salespeople and give them more intelligence as to when to do what type of behavior. But do I think they're going to replace the salesperson wholesale? I think unless you're in an Amazon type world where you can automate a lot of stuff and it's e-commerce, where you're selling something that is more complex or person decision led, I think you still need the salesperson and the behavior because people buy from people, right? I would bet that I could contact you and have a more robust conversation than an engine somewhere else that's just emailing you. At some point, rapport comes into it and you buy from people that you like and trust and respect, whether that's a low value item or high value. When you go into a car dealership, if you deal with a person that is just, you don't like, there's a chance you're going to go somewhere else to buy, right? Well, we're humans. We make micro decisions that we can't help. We make micro first. And people listening to this would have made a first impression of me within the first few minutes of whatever I'd said. And some would have liked, some wouldn't wouldn't have liked. And that's the nature of human beings. You made great points. What's your approach to
1: mindset? This job can be grueling. It's a lot of repetitive tasks. It's a lot of rejection. Even when you're a top rep, you're basically, your life is mainly rejection. It's mainly negative. So you have to have this vast positivity and this restart mechanism you know you get hit with a hard call you can't take it in the next one it's like how do you and it's a grind and people want to leave SDR, or they want to leave or they want to get promoted in this advancement track a lot of times they want to get there and they want to put the cart before the horse there's a tremendous like paying of dues at least um in my generation where i felt like i overpaid my dues and then i'd been in in the game 10 years in SAS and then i still there's still dues right as a consultant so yeah, I would love to just sort of conclude this episode with how you lead people toward mindset shifts, growth mindset, flow, positive psychology, or things you've found that can help people stay motivated. Like you said, the times have changed. You know, you're going out and getting you know, 20 meetings a month or 12 opportunities a month. Pandemic hits, it's like four, it's nuclear winter. How do you stay motivated initially and then in this time? How have you
2: switched up strategies in this time is another question. So, yes, I think let's handle that. So, I think in terms of switching up strategies, it's harder to get hold of people, right? Because they're not in the office. And if you haven't already got their mobile number, how do you get to them? So, you know, social selling, as Daniel Disney talks about, absolutely comes into that in terms of um, get utilizing it as a t- methodology. But what I would suggest is, and Joanne Black writes about this, no more cold calling, but she doesn't mean not wanting to speak to people. What she means is you make it a warmer call. So what I've consistently embossed with my team is, beauty of things like LinkedIn and social is I profess a thing called being Sherlock, right? Not Lestrade. And that means the clues are usually there, but most salespeople don't spot them. And that's digging around. It isn't just looking at who you share connections with. Go down and see where that individual used to work, right? Because you may know, for example, the VP of somewhere they used to work, but they're just not connected to them. There's so many ways you can find to engage with someone. And it's, fi- it's looking and spending that effort. To your point, it's not you're not picking up the phone, but it's trying to find a way to make that a warming call. Perfect for me is finding a way that I can find someone that knows that, that individual. I'm jumping on a call after this one, and I've had a personal introduction from someone that i worked with years and years and years ago, but I found actually they're now there. Oh, my gosh. Now, they're not connected to this individual, but they work in the same company. Therefore, they have a voice. And they may have passed them the cord, may just not be connected on LinkedIn, right? So it's about pivoting, I think, under under COVID to, yeah, it's different, but you can still get hold of people. And if you get hold of them, here's the beauty. You're probably one of fewer that's managed to do it because so many people are failing at this right now, giving up and making excuses. In terms of the motivation of of the whole piece, you're right. Even now, I've been in sales 30 years. You still lose stuff, right? You still get people who won't talk to you. You still lose project. It's the nature of the beast. You still get rejected. You can't win them all, no matter where you are in your career, what product or service you've got. And I think the motivation piece, yes, it comes from within the individual. Some people aren't cut out for being in sales, let's be honest. They like the idea of the money. And the rewards, but they don't realize that you're judged every month, you're judged consistently, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and publicly across your business. It's visible. You know, if you're you're in a back office role, you get a yearly review, but the whole company doesn't get to see how you're doing and how you've how you're viewed. In sales, everyone knows if you're doing well or badly, right? You you're visible. But for me, it's the people, the team you build. It's the people around you, it's partly you. But if you've got people around you who are supportive and a leader and a manager who are supportive and coaching and help you, I'm always hands on with my teams. So if they're struggling getting through to people, I'll help them do calls. I'll get involved and get them back on kilter, right? Because we all have those moments. As sales leaders, we have it as well where, oh my gosh, how are we going to get this quarter's number? Where's this going to come from, right? Because it isn't magic. You work metrics and you work behaviors and you execute. But sometimes in any sales rep I interview says, well, I've never not, I've never missed a number. Really? I have. I have. We all, we all, we all, you'll have a bad week, month or quarter. It's not something negative to you. It's part of the experience of being in sales. The longer you're in sales, the more likely that's going to happen. And it's your tenacity and resilience to doing it. And that I think is the biggest characteristic of of successful long-term salespeople is You've got to be tenacious and willing to lose. But here's a tip here's the tip. When I'm losing or we lose something, how often do you find out why? If we lose a deal, I will always, and this is where you can step in as a sales leader to support your team. Reach in to the customer. May I have a conversation with you? I'm not going to try and convince you of anything. I want to learn from why you chose someone out. I want to learn. We invested a good deal of time. An engagement with you. And I hope you respect that. And in return, what I'd like is a short phone call with you just to learn from it. And more often than not, I find people allow me as a senior in their customer view to jump on a phone call with them. And I explain to them, you know, if my team did something wrong, there's there's no comeback on them, but we need to learn. We will make mistakes. I'd like to learn from this of, of what we could have done differently for the next time. I'm not going to try and convince you any different. I respect your decision. And customers respect you for that and tell you things that otherwise you wouldn't know. And it can be something you'd missed early in the qualification. So you should have qualified better, but their view is, yeah, well, this is the key reason we chose the competitor. And you didn't even know that. Learn from your losses, turn them into a positive and come away with some value and some equity where I often leave it with that prospective customer. Thank you so much for the feedback. I really appreciate it. I hope in the future, if something did chat, we would have another conversation. You have the chance to be, increase the report, even though you lost. Why would you not do that? It's a great point.
1: Well, I want everybody to follow your your updates at Ian Moise. It's M O Y S E.
2: Any other spots they should go to find you? Yeah, the easy the easy ones there, Justin. At IanMoise.co.uk and IanMoise.cloud, and they will take you straight to my LinkedIn and Twitter profiles to follow. Just to close it out, what's like one book? or sales
1: trainer, or something that you feel has become esoteric or unknown that new generations here should check out? Could be a person, could be a a piece of content, a book. I'm finding there's a lot of stuff that's disappearing that's very valuable from 10 years ago, or we're out right now and people just don't, it's not popular on LinkedIn.
2: Yeah. So one I recommend, you mentioned Daniel, but I'll mention a book from Tim Hughes called Social Selling. And it's very readable. It's not rocket science. And it just talks about how you change your behavior, change makers in business, how you engage with the right people. Very easy read and you'll get some simple tips out of it that will just mean that you don't do social selling wrong. I love Tim. That's a
1: great recommendation. Thanks for coming on the show. We'll have you back again. Thank you, Ian. Thank you. Justin, thank you. You're welcome.